Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have a legend in the space of venture capital, one of the premier go-to-market leaders in the world. It's Mr. Doug Landis. Nick, why should people listen? This is a really interesting episode where you might not want to show up to your discovery calls anymore with a checklist of 432 questions. Doug talks about instead showing up with a point of view. And so this is one where if you want to lay the groundwork for a pretty dang good discovery call, you may want to consider listening to this episode. Three, two, one. My point of view is you should listen to this episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes, your zoom info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's moving up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. All right, Doug, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Okay. 
Number one, are you open to? These are really, really important words I suggest you start to use. The reality is, for me, I'm a linguist at heart. Words really matter. When you're reaching out to somebody to get access to some level of resource, whether it's an introduction, you want a meeting with them, you want something from someone, the words you use are really important. So when you end an email or a LinkedIn message or even a voice message and you say, could you, will you, do you have time for 15 minutes for a call? Those are very black and white questions or requests. I suggest you use something a little bit softer for me as the recipient, your prospects as a recipient, using words like, are you open to making an introduction? Are you open to a five-minute conversation? Are you open to something? It's basically suggesting, are you open or are you closed? If you use the wrong words, I'm going to close off. Using words like, are you open to? Very powerful. Beautiful. What's number two, Doug? Number two, I call it why change. This is kind of my anti-discovery phase, if you think about it. At the end of the day, we have done a terrible job for all of you sellers because we've drilled qualification criteria like BANT, TEMP, ANIM, whatever NEAT, whatever acronym you want to come up with. And then we also compile that with discovery questions that you should be asking to really understand the pain and the problem. At the end of the day, as a buyer, none of that is beneficial to me and oftentimes not even relevant. The reality is the conversation that I want to have, and I I highlight the word conversation because at the end of the day, we should be having a business conversation, not discovery or qualification, but a business conversation is about what's going on in my current state, how bad is that, and why would I ever want to change away from that? If you can anchor your conversations, including qualification and discovery, whatever categories you want to identify them with, around this idea of I need to have a conversation with you and you need to share with me in your words why changing away from what you're currently doing might make sense. That's the conversation that buyers want to have. And that's the conversation you need to get prepared to have with your prospects. Nice. All right, Doug, round us out. What's number three? Woo, number three. At the end of the day, if you want to be a professional seller, you really need to anchor around your behaviors. Look, In any deal over $10,000, there are at least eight to 10 buyers involved in a buying decision. What's happened over the last three years? Guess what? Executives are getting involved in lower level conversations. So there's a lot of people you could and should be engaged with and talking to in your prospects. Not every meeting has to be with the decision maker. It doesn't even have to be a meeting. So don't stop reaching out to more than one or two people in an organization. Additionally, It takes a while for us to respond. We're busy as buyers, and it takes at least eight to 10 touches to get somebody to respond, even if it's just a not right now. Because at the end of the day, if you really think about prospecting, it's about timing and relevance. So if you want to be a professional seller, don't stop yourself short. Don't stop at one or two touches. Don't stop at one or two people in an organization. Keep going because that account is not dead. So it's actually interesting. I used to work with a salesperson who would spend hours like belaboring over their sign off. Would you be horribly, utterly opposed to potentially taking a meeting with me to learn more about this? Like, and they would spend so much time wasted on coming up with their CTA that the advice I gave them was like, be like Mark Zuckerberg when he's picking out his outfit. He wears the exact same thing every single day. And You should just make the decision once what your call to action is going to be. And I like yours. Are you open to learning more about X? Pick that, 
Make that your CTA and move on with your life. So let's say someone responds to my CTA, Doug. They are open to learning more, and they're the buyer. And I'm scheduling a business conversation, or some might know it as a discovery call with said buyer. You have been on the buying side and the selling side in your career, and you were talking to me on the pre-show about what buyers actually want in that first meeting, what they actually want to accomplish, and they want what they want that experience to look like. Can you tell me what that experience actually is and how salespeople can adjust to their advantage? Yes. Amen. Appreciate the question because often what buyers want and need from sellers is not what sellers show up prepared to offer. What oftentimes sellers are prepared to show up to offer are qualification questions or discovery questions. Tell me more about this. Tell me more about your business. Tell me more about your problem. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Just think about those words. Tell me. What are you doing when you say those two words? You're saying all the work is on you. The onus is on you, Mr. Buyer, Mrs. Buyer. So you, it's up to you to, to shape this conversation. Well, that's not my job. My job is to figure out how I can solve for this problem that I have as quickly and easily as possible. So when you come to this conversation with a whole slew of questions, it doesn't help. The reality is, as a buyer, I've already been going through a process on my own of which you largely are thinking about, well, is this really all that bad? And if it's really bad, then I start talking to other people. I talk to my peers, I talk to my friends. I start to evaluate what are other people doing to solve or handle this situation. And once I get that feedback from my peers, then I start maybe doing a little bit more research. But during that, I'm also trying to prioritize. And then you get on a call with me and you start peppering me with questions. And it gives me, as the buyer, anxiety. And what I want to do is I want to get the hell off the call. And I want to give you the answers that you want so that you'll give me either a demo or you'll tell me all about the product so I can quickly make a decision and then move on. The best way to approach this as a seller is to show up prepared, have a prepared mind, have a hypothesis or a point of view about my industry, about my company, and about me and my role and some of the problems I likely might struggle with. Again, I'm using really important words here. I might struggle with. The truth is, if you show up to a conversation with a point of view about my world, it doesn't have to be right, but it shows that you put in a little bit of work, that you did the work versus making me do all the work. You showed up with some thought about what's going on in my industry, what's going on in my company, what's going on in my world. So Doug, let's say that I jump into a meeting and I set my agenda. And now instead of peppering you with bant or med picking you over the head or asking you a million situational questions, I now want to display some sort of point of view or some sort of industry expertise. So I've set my agenda. What do I do now? Most of the time, people just set the agenda. Here are the things we're going to talk about and off we go. What's often missed is what's the purpose? Why are we all here? What's the plan, i.e. the agenda? And how much time are we going to spend talking about each area? Or what's the outcome that both you and I want from our time together? We often forget about that. We just do exactly what you just said. We throw up the agenda. And then what do we do? We throw, we launch right in from, we transition from agenda to questions. I'm suggesting transition from agenda to a point of view. So I'll give you an example. So Armand, as I was preparing for our meeting today, opener, I thought, well, you know, what's really interesting, what's going on in the world of... SaaS technology. They're getting hammered in the markets. Everyone is doing layoffs. 
seemingly so. So I, I'd be curious, given the fact that you're a compensation platform, how this is affecting your business. People still need to hire. People still need to know what's going on in the markets. Although I imagine, given the fact that maybe hiring the power shifted to the employer, employers, maybe they're curious if, if comp ratios have gone down because we know over the last couple of years, they got a little out of hand. As I was thinking about this, you see what I'm doing? I'm just having a, a kind of a general hypothesis about what I think might be going on, and then I'm going to take it down into your world. Look, as a VP of sales, this situation, you might be wondering, okay, well, how do I continue to hit my targets? How do I maybe filter out the companies that are no longer a fit for us and reorient my ICP? How do I continue to motivate my teams, even though we're partially remote or hybrid? Do you see what I'm doing? So I start company in the industry, and now I'm down to you in the role. Of course, I don't know what I'm selling right now. So this conversation, this this example is a little wonky. But I'm coming to you with a point of view. And then my next my question is, is how does this resonate with you? So what I'm asking for is validation. And you either get to validate or refute it, but I'm not asking you to, to answer a whole slew of questions, at least not yet. It's interesting this approach you talk about because it's really similar to someone I know you're you're friends with. Joe Caprio, who, when we had him on the show last, he called this incenting interest. And the idea is you're showing up and you're saying, you know what, it's really interesting. I, I don't normally get to talk to VPs of sales who came from the banking industry, for example. What you're doing is you're pointing out something that like is an observation that you had that is relevant to the conversation you're about to have. And the reason for it is it, it sort of replaces the crummy small talk where you're, you're chumming about the weather. And you're also showing, hey, I actually did my research. And it opens up the other person way, way more. Yes. However, I have a purpose to my flow. I'm not doing this just to kind of build connection or credibility. I'm doing this because I fundamentally want to get down to the brass tacks of understanding your current state or demonstrating that I think I understand, I might understand your current state and why you might want to change away from that. Right? I'm not doing that just to buy some time or like, you know, so we're buddy up and chum it out. And I'm not doing that. I'm doing it for a purpose because I want to show you that I've given this some thought. I've done my homework. I think I have a fairly decent idea of what might be going on in your world and why you might have been out on our website searching for information or gone to this webinar or downloaded this white paper. And the fundamental question that I have for you, the, the conversation I really want to get to is twofold. Number one, why might you want to change away from what you're currently doing? And number two, our jobs are to help our buyers make a decision. Do you know how hard it is for buyers to make a decision? We've got preference stability. Change is really hard. We've got selection difficulty. Too many options. I don't know what to do. How do I prioritize? How do I evaluate this in terms of my risk tolerance? all sorts of things. And that's why deals end up in dead, no decision. And so imagine if you came to a conversation, you said, you know, listen, Nick, the one thing that I, I want to do, my one single goal between you and I is I want to help you to make a decision. Even if that decision is sticking with what you're currently doing, at least you're consciously making a choice that you're going to stick with what you're doing. So Doug, I'm, I'm curious, at what point when you're trying to understand if this is something even worth partnering on or solving on. I guess, at what point do you feel like you've done enough discovery such that you can propose some sort of potential solution or perhaps even a next step in the discovery process? I'm going to break this up into two pieces. There's next step and then there's why us, right? So if I'm selling to you, Armand, I want to know first and foremost why you think changing away from your current state makes sense. 
that's step number one. Step number two, we're not even there yet, is why do it now versus waiting? So let's just say you agree that, yeah, maybe moving away from however I was managing my forecast process isn't really the best. And you're like, there's a lot of there's a lot of angst there. Well, the next step is like, well, why would you want to do something now? What's going to drive your urgency to make a decision now or do something now versus waiting three, six, nine months? And that's part two of the conversation. Once you get through one and two and you there's clarity around you wanting to change and there's clarity around the, the cost associated with not changing, i.e. why now, then you're, you've earned the right to talk about why us. Typically, salespeople go backwards. They start, they lead with why us, and they're like, okay, cool. I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions to back our way into why change and why now. And the reason why deals push is because there's no urgency, because we didn't focus on why changing and the costs associated with not changing. So, Doug, I want to call out one of the things that you brought up in the early part of the interview, where you were saying buyers hate it when you jump onto a discovery call and you just pepper them with 3,000 questions. And these questions feel like they're in the way of them just wanting to see the damn product so they can make an evaluation for yourself, right? So I'm curious, what are you doing differently in either the way that you're asking questions, the way you're telling stories, the way you're giving examples or case studies or developing a point of view, what are you doing differently in that process where you are essentially saying, I'm not gonna talk about my product, I'm gonna still withhold that? How are you asking questions and using stories and all of that stuff in a way that does not feel like an interrogation, which many discovery calls traditionally feel like? I think, you know, my good buddy, Todd Capone has captured this in a book called The Transparency Sale, which is it's all about being transparent. Like, listen, if you just want a demo of our product, you can go to our website. Uh, If you want me to just walk you through click by click what our product could do. Awesome. Great. Don't know if it's really going to be helpful. I'm in the job of being helpful. If you really do need to ask a handful of questions just to see if it's like, because you know what, at the end of the day, you're you're, because your company, you've got too many people, right? And so it's like, man, our product kind of caps out, you know, if at 100 users, if you're above that, then it's not going to work. Fine, then do that. But just set my ask you of just a handful of questions, so that we can at least just check the box and move. And I know that you're a fit. Otherwise, doesn't even make sense for us to continue talking, right? So just set my expectation that you're going to ask me five, six, a handful of questions, and that there's good reason behind it. Oftentimes, sellers get on the phone, and what do they do? They just start peppering. They just start firing away. And as a buyer, I'm like, where are you going with this? This is not valuable for me. This is way more valuable for you. But at the end of the day, it's not valuable for me. So I'm trying to get off the phone. What you're doing here that's really powerful is you are giving, in the name of the transparency sale, you're giving the reason that you are asking the other person to share information with you. And one of the things that we have learned is anytime that you have an ask of the other person, you have to explain why complying with that ask is in their best interest. Whether it's you're asking them to see a demo, you're asking them to answer your tech stack questions, you're asking them to introduce you to a colleague of theirs, you must explain why it is in their best interest. And what you're doing when you say, hey, I have 12 questions here that I need to ask you to help me understand whether or not we could even work with you as a business, because if your answer to some of those questions is no, like we actually can't help you, the person is far more likely to say, well, tell me your questions because it's in their best interest to, like it's in your mutual best interest. And I think a lot of people 
don't understand that your job is to articulate the reason to the customer. You know that it's in your mutual best interest, but if they don't, you're going to get four questions in and they're going to be like, how many more questions do you have for me? Doug, let's say that we've finally gotten someone to agree to the why change at all, right? And before we go into the why us, you talked about why now. What is the right way to ask why now other than saying, when do you want to buy this thing? Now, we both understand that changing away from what you're currently doing, it makes sense. Let's now, you and I together, Armand, dig into why it might make sense doing this now rather than waiting three, six, nine months, right? So you would probably go going, sure, okay, that sounds great. Now, what, what are we going to dig into? Well, one of the things I want to highlight here is my conversation with Sue, who is VP of sales over at Coca-Cola. She was sharing with me that what she realized after the fact is every day she waited to make this change, she realized it was costing her two customer meetings. I'm curious, what do you think it's costing you by sticking with what you're currently doing? Because at the end of the day, I'm out of role play. End of the day, people make decisions based on cost, loss, and suffering. Pain. How bad is that pain? They don't make changes based on the promised land that you're painting this picture for. And so if you want to have this why now conversation, first of all, the question you can ask is like, well, why would you want to do it now? Why do you think doing it now makes sense? Because at the end of the day, I understand, because I've had this conversation with VPs of sales all day, every day, that you're going to have to go through and sell this internally. There's going to be a process, and I, we'll talk about that. But fundamentally, as your boss, as your CFO, I guarantee you they're going to want to know, well, why do we have to do this now versus waiting? And if you come to them with, hey, listen, if we don't do this now, it's going to cost us. We're losing customers. There's just more difficulty, and it's costing in the long run. That's the things that are going to get people to buy into that. What you did in that role play was really powerful, Doug, because I used to get trained. I should be asking my customer, when are you looking to make a decision? And I started asking that question and every single buyer, every single one said yesterday. And I'd be like, well, that's not very helpful. I can't put that in my forecast. And what's really interesting, what you did there was you almost told this micro story about another customer, Sue, where you sort of, again, you almost incented the pain where you were like, hey, this is the pain that somebody else dealt with that prompted them to make a timely decision. I'm wondering if that's even relevant to your world. And you're sort of touching on telling like a micro story. And one of the things that you said in the pre-show to us was you were talking about the power of storytelling. And I'm wondering if you can give me the quick hits on like what goes into an effective sales story and then maybe what goes into an ineffective sales story that I should be avoiding. But at the end of the day, as a buyer, I want to know that I'm not alone in this. This is why it's so important we build connection, demonstrate credibility, and show empathy because I need to know I'm not alone. When you're peppering me with questions and it's just you and me, I feel very isolated and scared because making a decision, by the way, is scary for a lot of people. And so if you bring in Sue, who's another VP of sales, into the conversation, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm not alone. I wonder if I could talk to Sue. That's super powerful. And by the way, it also gets you out of the picture. You're just the messenger now. Now I want to know, like, well, who else have you talked to? What other VPs of sales, what did they say? What did you learn from them? Because that's what I want to know. I don't want to know because I don't really trust you. Unfortunately, you're in sales and I'm afraid you're just going to manipulate me. I've been manipulated before and it hasn't worked out in my best interest. 
So let's just say you want to bring that Sue, uh, Sue character into the conversation. If you're going to tell a story, there's some very simple tactics that have to be true. If they're not true, then your story sucks. Factors that are true. Number one, you have to be really, really clear about the point they are trying to make with that story. So if I'm going to tell you a story about Sue, VP of sales over at Coca-Cola, I got to be really clear about the point that I'm trying to make with that story. You got to be articulate and I, I need to know the point of that story in one sentence or less. Number two, there has to be a character. One of the things you'll notice, I said, Sue, a VP of sales at Coca-Cola. I didn't say, well, I was talking to somebody over at Coca-Cola. No one cares. I need a person with a name and a title. I also need a setting. Now, it would have been helpful. I said, well, look, two weeks ago, I was talking to Sue, VP of sales at Coca-Cola, because it could have been two years, 10 years. If you give me a setting two weeks ago or just yesterday or this morning, or hey, I've got a call tomorrow with Sue. Give me a setting. Give me some context because that's what it helps you to take me on a journey. Because that journey is either from what was to what is or what is to what could be. And then typically there's no moment, right, in a story. That's like, well, you know what I was yesterday when I was on the phone with Sue, VP of sales over at Coca-Cola, she shared with me that, you know, she was struggling with forecasts. In fact, you know, we, it was just recently the end of the quarter, mid-year. And she thought she was crushing it, but as it turned out, they missed by 15%. Whew. That sucks. And I got this moment. But then what was the turning point? Well, what Sue realized was the forecast was actually right in Salesforce, but it was wrong in practice. Whatever it is, I'm making this stuff up. So the story itself has, it's got some juice, right? Because you've got a person, a character or characters. You've got a setting, the time and the place when it started. You've got some drama, right? Something happened and you've got a turning point. So Doug, in the prep call, you talked about two times you bought software and they nearly got you fired. <laughs> and my guess is one of the reasons you're using these stories is because you're trying to tell people, hey, other customers, same stage, same set of problems. You are not completely alone or unique in this problem. We've helped other people before, right? And you're trying to ease them into that so that they know they're not the first person to buy the first iPhone that was ever released, right? And hopefully it doesn't explode in their pocket. I'm curious, are there other things that you're doing either in this call or throughout the sales cycle to get people outside of that initial zone of resistance where they're like, oh my God, if I don't buy IBM, I'm gonna get fired? I think at the end of the day, we constantly need to remind ourselves that in every interaction we have with somebody, our job is to build connection, demonstrate some level of credibility. And you do that through what we've learned from our customers. And then, of course, to show empathy. And we do that by giving some sense of thought about the other person and their world. Right. So if you keep reminding yourself of those three things, we need to build connection, demonstrate credibility and show empathy. You can do that all day, every day with your prospects, with every single person that you're tasked to reaching out to. Think about that. What have I done? And after a call, what did I do to build connection, demonstrate credibility and show empathy? And there are ways in which marketing can do that by sharing, you know, by sharing stories or ROI statistics or whatever it may be, whatever materials that you need to demonstrate to me as the buyer that, hey, I'm not alone. You're an expert. You've done this before. And so I can trust you. But the thing that I think is really important that you have to, I think it's really important to acknowledge, acknowledge the fact that making a decision is scary and hard. 
there are risks associated with it. If I make a decision again, significant value, I could get fired. Call it out. Acknowledge the fact that, you know, Armand, I recognize the fact as a VP of sales, if you make an investment, especially around forecasting, and it doesn't play out and you miss your forecast, I can imagine how frightening that would be. Other sales leaders that I've spoken to, if they miss their forecast more than two months in a row, more than two quarters in a row, they're out. So I can only imagine the trepidation of making a decision around something like this might be. Share things about what you might know and understand about the, what the buyer is going through. Change is really hard. How to drive change in the organization. By the way, have you ever given thought, and this is to you sellers, have you ever given it thought what it's like to implement and use? How many people have to actually learn how to use this new product? We talk about, so if you just think about on the other end, what, what's involved, you can actually start to empathize even more. And so to your question, what can you do? I can, I can share an anecdote about a conversation that I've had. I can share what other companies have done. I can suggest that like, listen, I recognize making this decision is likely scary. Beautiful. Man, Doug, this was a golden episode and you're making me thirsty for a Coca-Cola. But we're running out of time here and so we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We talked a lot about good things salespeople should be doing and now I got to ask you about the inverse. And so the final question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Not doing their homework. Do you know how many prospecting emails that I get? And I, do you know what my response is? Oh, I see you're a growth partner. I would love to talk to you about how we can help add more leads to your. T-. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Do your homework. Show up to every every interaction that you have with a prospect or a customer with just demonstrating a little bit of effort. Boom. Don't be lazy. Do your homework. Be an A student or at least an A minus student. Okay, be an A student. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Doug Landis include number one, PPO, purpose, 
plan outcome. Why are we here? How are we spending the time? And what's the outcome of the call going to be? Number two, you got to answer three questions and you got to answer them in this order. Number one is why change? Number two is why now? And then and only then, why us? Number three, after that, after you set that agenda and you go in that order, you should start with a point of view instead of peppering them with 3,000 qualification or traditional discovery questions. And then lastly, number four, when you do decide to ask some questions, soften the CTA instead of asking heavy questions by possibly changing to, would you be open to type of questions? All righty, Nick, how could people help us out here? Well, folks, if you haven't yet connected with me on Armand and LinkedIn, you're missing something. I've asked a couple times, so instead of my usual normal ask, I'm going to hit you with a why change, a why now, and a why us. First, why change? Why would you want to change from the status quo and connect with somebody like Armand on LinkedIn? Well, if you do that, you might change your state and you might become a better salesperson. Well, okay, that sounds interesting, but why would you want to become a better salesperson now? Hmm, well, it's a tough market out there. It's tough to sell. And If you become a better salesperson today, you kick off the butterfly effect of making more money and leveling up in your career. But why us? Why Nick? Why Armand? Why connect? Why waste two valuable connection requests with these jokers? Well, believe it or not, we post things like episode summaries, our favorite tips and nuggets that we learn on the show, and occasionally pictures of Nick and Armand on the beach hanging out. So there's my ask. Why change? Why now? Why us? And why not see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club? Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.